Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by Mosaic, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free two-week trial on their website at www.streamrg.com. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.com using the promo code MICROCAP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker-dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. You're listening to episode 205. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the Microcap message. Special thank you to our sponsors for today's episode, Stream by Mosaic, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free two-week trial on their website at www.streamrg.com. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.com using the promo code MICROCAP. And Quarter, whose mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. Visit your app store of choice to try it out. And that's Quarter, Q-U-A-R-T-R. Thank you to everyone who participated in the SNN Network Canada virtual event. We had a great week showcasing some of the best of the undiscovered companies and insights from the Canadian microcap community. All the keynotes and panels are currently available on the SNN Network YouTube channel, and the company presentations are available for replay on Canada.SNN.Network. This will be our last virtual event until the second half of 2022, because we are 100% focused on seeing all of you at our first in-person event in nearly three years. The Planet Microcap Showcase is back in Las Vegas on May 3rd through the 5th, 2022 at Bally's Hotel and Casino. It's time to see each other. It's time to network in person. Let's make it all happen in the entertainment capital of the world. For more information, please go to www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. For episode 205 of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Richard Sosa, host of the Riches in the Niches podcast. I've been following Richard for a while now and wanted to get to know the man beyond his famous food takes. Uh, He is a passionate investor, and it shows when we dive deep into what Richard calls Sosa's five forces. I really enjoyed our conversation about his investing style as we turn the mic around on a fellow colleague in the field. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 205 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Richard Sosa. This episode is brought to you by Stream by Mosaic. You can find them at www.streamrg.com. 
That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.com. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. Stream was built by Mosaic and unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.com. Welcome back, everybody, to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me today is someone that I got to tell you, I I really just appreciate following him. Uh, He's got a new podcast that it's not necessarily new anymore. I think we're at like 30 plus episodes at this point. And um, I'm really appreciative for him taking the time today to be on the podcast. Again, I say this every time. It's a long time overdue. But joining me today is Richard Sosa. He is the host of Riches in the Niches podcast. With that, Richard, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. You know, it's, you know, believe it or not, I'm telling everyone, this is the first time Bobby and I have spoken. So, um, you know, thank you for the, you know, the podcast uh, mentioned the, I'll be honest with you. One of the main reasons I started the podcast was to be able to have a reason to reach out to people. And, you know, it's (laughs) in in that sense, it's been really cool because you get to talk to smart investors and, you know, most of them everyone gets back to you, you know, you know, they'll say, yeah, like, I appreciate it. you know, it's just nice. And a lot of the times you want to have these conversations anyway, but because you have podcasts, it just makes it easier. Right. And, and then you record it, that transcript, you know, you remember it. It's, you know, you never know what you can learn from it. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate that. And I definitely appreciate you reaching out. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, we have very similar concepts. You know, when I started, when I started this back in 2015, I, I always thought I was a, a terrible investor, but like, but back then very much so. And I, I wanted to take people on that journey with me, you know, and, and really share a lot of knowledge because every, especially, I mean, riches in the niches, you know, very similar in concept. I'm sure we're talking about Planet Microcap. We've had similar overlapping guests, you know, like there's not a lot of microcap type content out there. You know, I, I had friends all the time say, oh, you're a microcap stocks? Like, you know, what, what is a microcap? It's like, was that like penny stocks? It's like, no, it's not penny stock. It's a microcap. All right. You know, but I digress. But look, as you said, this is our first time talking together. And, uh, and I, I, again, I really appreciate you coming on here, but let's start this out. Uh, I'd love to know where your passion for investing and finance came from. So take, take us to baby Sosa all the way through today. You know, I love that. So, you know, my, my, my background is pretty boring. I grew up in Northern Virginia, you know, Washington Redskins fan or, or Washington football team fan is what we call them now. Um, you know, love where I grew up, didn't never invested a, as a child. Right. And it wasn't my thing. Um, went to school in the West coast, Arizona state. And uh, my first job out of college was at an, an investment bank. And I was at what they call an institutional equity salesperson. Um, this was, you know, 2004, 2005, and 
that's what really introduced me to the world of, of finance. I mean, so take, take it back then, you know, we had just finished the tech boom, right? I wasn't invested. I just knew about it. You, people talked about stacks, you know, stocks, my friends would make money. It wasn't for me, right? Then in my first job, this is 2004, um, at a company called FBR. Um, I got the job through a, a mutual contact. Um, and at the time we had sponsored the Phoenix Open. So it was kind of, I, I met them in Arizona and um, became an institutional salesperson, a junior institutional salesperson. So it was really doing all the grunt work, right? Getting coffee, um, calling on hedge funds, usually the, the, you know, the junior analysts, calling them on our, the stocks we covered. And um, FBR at the time, uh, which is now part of B. Riley, but at the time we were really known as, um, you know, we, we raised money for mortgage REITs. We did a lot of that quirky stuff. Like we raised money for really the deals no one else wanted to do. And, and it was, um, it was an amazing place, amazing place to have a first job because, you know, the salesmen really had to understand these products because they were, and they were very niche. Like, I mean, at the time we were doing, it sounds, you know, in hindsight, crazy that we were raising equity capital for mortgage companies that were levered, you know, 10, 20 times equity and, and originating mortgages and selling them to banks. Like in hindsight, that sounds like, Oh, how'd that work? But in, back then it was working, you know, the, there was a big market, a big mortgage market. And um, to sell these products to institutional investors was it, it took, you know, a lot of, you really had to understand these companies. You understand the math behind the leverage, the math behind the, the earnings power and the, the payouts these companies would make if the, you know, housing market continued, you know, Back then, the narrative was the housing market never goes down, never goes down. That was our pitch. We had all this data. Mortgage, the housing market never goes down. And it hadn't. It really hadn't. Um, we had gobs and gobs of data. We send the people. And so there was a boom and there, were, there, there was a need to originate subprime mortgage loans. And, you know, we, FBR, really brought a lot of these companies public. And, um, you know, it was, it was an exciting place to work because you learned a lot. Um, we also covered regular companies too. We, we really focused on small and mid cap companies. I mean, that was our thing. Um, mostly small cap, like all the mortgage companies we raised money for. Of course, there were you know two or three hundred million dollar market cap. So you really got to what, what was more exciting than doing the research was meeting the people buying these stocks, right? So as a young person, you were you know in a meeting with Bill Miller, you know Mara Gabelli, these people, and selling them, right? So you, you really, um, and, and I talk, I don't talk enough about this in my podcast, but, you know, as an equity salesman, I mean, we, we had to be friends with the research people. We had like 50 analysts that, you know, covered consumer energy, financial services, um, a little bit of everything, but you, um, it, it was both value and growth, right? Mm -hmm. So we, so our clients would be kind of a hodgepodge of stuff, right? So I, at the time covered the West coast, I was on a team that covered LA and San Diego, like, um, you know, our biggest account was the capital group, right? The America funds. And, you know, we would, we wouldn't meet with as many growth investors because it wasn't really our thing. Um, but we didn't meet with them. So I was always fascinated about how different, how everything's in a bucket, right? I definitely want to talk about that in this podcast because I feel, you know, people don't think enough about how institutional capital and flows work. Um, and, and I think that's what's led me to my investment philosophy is like, I, I learned, I think at a pretty young age, that everything goes into a bucket, right? Um, a lot of stuff goes into a bucket. And, um, and, and, you know, growing up that way, I just learned that you either were part of the bucket or outside of that bucket. And, you know, over the, you know, 15 years, I learned that for me, 
investing in companies that weren't in a bucket that were going into a bucket. Like those were for me, the best opportunities. Interesting. Um, I'd like to take a quick second to tell you about this episode's sponsor quarter with quarter. You get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world, straight from your pocket for no cost. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. The first step on this journey is to let you, the user, interact with the company's content while you're listening. Visit your app store of choice and try it out today by searching for Quarter. And that's Q-U-A-R-T-R. Now back to the show. So, 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 so tell me a little, let's, let's go, let's go down that rabbit hole for, you know, talking about institutional flows because in microcaps, as you're very well aware, right. Um, you know, most of us are looking for those opportunities before they get picked up by institutions. So having that experience in mind, what led you to looking, you know, a little bit more downstream, even, you know, past small cap land into microcap land. Was it, was it that realization? You know, that's an interesting question. It, it really came about when I started realizing a lot of these investors, like they all invested in microcaps, like it's fascinating, but they isn't, all isn't it, in isn't it, isn't it so fun? Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off yeah. there, but like you, like I bring on, like, you know, I bring on Jim O'Shaughnessy and something like he envies every microcap investor because they can, you know, and, yeah. and, and he can, you know, like he loves this space. So I'm sorry, it's just a point because it, like I hear that all the time too. Yeah, and it is. I mean, there's a variety of reasons for that. I mean, the biggest reason I think is that the microcaps don't overlap, right? There's no overlap with the flows. Like flows, you know, companies that most people are aware of that are owned by a lot of people and that trade that have volume that a hedge fund can own. And people don't understand hedge funds cannot own everything. They can only own really popular stocks that trade that you can borrow off of or short, you know, and that's, that's most of the market. And, and, you know, those stocks, I mean, look, I'm sure you've talked about this in your podcast a lot. Like, look, I don't want to compete with a thousand and 2000 people because you know what? Investing is hard, right? I mean, there's people that know these companies inside and out. Like these hedge fund guys, like they know what's going on. They know what drive these companies. They've done the research. Um, and a lot of times, like I'm a big believer in research where I, I love podcasts, love people sharing, but there's so much you can learn about a business, um, and then with these bigger companies, it's harder, right? Because, you know, the fundamentals are well known and you're really, I feel just betting on the trend, right? And you're betting on flows, which is, you know, people are good at it, right? They're really good at it. But, you know, in the micro cap land, you don't have to bet on flows because you probably won't get them. I mean, look, everyone talks about this, like getting the, look, ultimately, if you get the flows in the microcap eventually, like that's where you can, you know, that's where you get like the thousand baggers, right? Like the, you know, the companies know, that's what everyone looks for, I think, in microcap land, the holy grail, find that little company. Um, and maybe I can get into this, this now, because it's, I think what made me catch the microcap bug was um, my, my, really my first big investment where I put a material amount of my wealth um, into it. And it's a company called, I'm sure you've mentioned in your in your podcast is still around a company called MyTech, uh, MyTech Systems, M-I-T-K. I don't own it now. Um, but, you know, 10 years ago, I was working at a, a smaller firm called Global Hunter, and uh, it was mostly focused on energy, but we did some, you know, micro cap stuff. And we did a lot of non-deal roadshows. That was our thing. That was a great way to get paid. And like you know, that time, it still is for 
um, institutional brokerages, but we'd set up a lot of non-deal roadshows for microcaps. And, and my, my tech was super cool. And it kind of got me into that, you know, mindset where you, if you buy a company that's cheap that nobody cares about, and there's like something interesting there, you know, that can take off, like, you know, you can make a lot of money and, you know, the risk reward is, can be positive if nobody's really looking at it or nobody cares. And look, it was different that 2010, this was right after the financial crisis. So there was a lot of these opportunities, right? Because even well-known companies, like no one was buying stuff, right? I mean, you hear about these big people buying stuff, but it was in 2010, people were still scared, right? Yeah. Um, no yeah. one was going Yodo and YOLO and, ho- and holding, right? Nobody was doing that. Um, it was- Yo, uh, Richard, hold on, I got to ask you. Like we must have crossed paths at a conference. If you were a global hunter, I remember going to the global hunter conference. I think it was, you did a San Francisco show. Um, yeah, we definitely crossed paths. Yeah, it was was a good place. We did a lot of road shows. Like we, you know, that's where I kind of, you know, at FBR, I didn't trade much. You know, I just, you know, cause you also have to learn about companies. Right. And and then was kind of frowned upon the trade. They didn't like it. And we had a, we had a head of sales that was really strict about that stuff. He's like, you know, why are you buying these stocks? Like, you know, it's it's because we can't buy the stocks we cover. Right. You know, like, uh, which was always, of course, the biggest, I I never understood. You couldn't sell things you covered, right. You couldn't really own things you covered. Right. So the stocks you really cared about, like you couldn't pitch people on, which absolutely makes no sense. Well, for those who don't know, I mean, why, why is that the case? When, when oh, it's really just a, a simple compliance reason. It's, it's like, you know, people yeah, think, well, hey, you think about it, you're talking a capital group or something like that. I mean, they, and, and I'm digressing, going back to where I was, but the thing is when you call these big accounts, you really know what makes them tick. Right. And that was, I think, what I loved about being a broker is you really understand, you get to meet these people. You understand what just, they do rely, they don't rely on the sell side, but they do look for ideas. Like, you know, they don't care where the idea comes from. They're going to do their work, but you know, sometimes you can pre- present them with something that just, they haven't seen it in the way you're presenting it. Right. And they'll do, they're going to do the work, but you know, it, it, it takes that. And to do that sometimes. And you, but you really learn like you really learn that these buckets look at stocks differently. And, and, um, you know, I love that about where I was to be able to, um, to see how they looked at things and, um, what, what made them, I mean, you could salespeople could convince these, these institutions, um, to buy stocks. You really could. I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's why it, you know, it's frowned upon because if you own, um, you know, this Acorn Energy, you know, 40 million shares trades 20,000 shares a day and you got capital group to take 20% position, you know, they won't tell you, but you know, right? Especially if they're trading it through you. And I think if they're trading it through you, you're, you're not supposed to buy ahead of them, right? Well, I think right. ultimately, so most firms don't, don't like it. You know, they don't like it. Every trade has to get approved and they'll always ask why, why are you buying this? Right. You know. By the way, real quick, Acorn, are you are you a shareholder? Uh yes, I am a shareholder. Okay, just make sure. <laughs> I, it's a company I do like it. And me, it, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of this my tech that I I just mentioned, where you had a business that was cheap, and then it was really transforming into something else, and that transformation wasn't really, you know, well known with average investors, and um, and it, it did work out. Like so, so my tech at the time, they're going back to where I was in 2010. Um, they had, uh, so they were, they, they process checks. They had a, a, a technology, a legacy technology that processed checks for banks. 
it was a small, you know, ticket item for banks, right? Um, but it had some cash flow. It was a dying business because checks are, you know, processing checks was something banks did less and less. Um, but they had created and had a bunch of patents for um, a, a remote check deposit software, right? And let me tell you, back then, not being a tech guy, you know, it's like it was so interesting to learn about it, right? And they had licensed it, you know, to Wells Fargo and a couple other banks and Chase. And they were having an issue, I think, with Chase or Wells Fargo at the time. And, um, you know, nobody was giving credit for any kind of success. And the whole call was like, look, they're going to win this case. Chase, you know, Wells Fargo is not going to, um, has to use this. They have to use it. They, it's, a, it's a product they want, right? And, they, you know, they, their technology really, all the patents for this, you know, prohibits them from doing it without, and the contracts that they had it without my tech. So once that went through, once that, Essentially, the ad, um, that lawsuit went away. The thing went, the stock went from like 30 cents to $20, like, like that. You know, when you put a lot of your net worth, I don't think, you know, the high you get from putting what ended up happening, this is all, of course, six months, you know, almost like a biotech, but not a biotech company, right? It would go, it went from 20 cents to 30, to 30, 20 cents, 30, a dollar. $5 and then boom, a couple West Coast institutional you know, small micro cap, small cap guys came in and the thing went to 20, you know, it became a small cap. And, and uh, fortunately, I sold it. Uh, unfortunately, I sold it like at seven or eight, which is still it was a huge game. It's a huge, right? Game. But it went to 20. It was hard to see it go to 20, but it did pull back. And look, 10 years later, it's, yeah, it stopped it's at 17, yeah. right? You know, yeah. uh, it did overshoot. Um, but it was one of those that you, know, you look for that that repeatable thing all the time. What was right? that? And was that one just timing? I mean, like, or or because I mean, it's it's rare. Uh, I mean, that's a it's rare in a non biotech that you have a, an outcome like that, right? Where it's that biotechy outcome. You know, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm investing six months, maybe a little early, but just because I'm going to ride it till maybe they, you know, they have those good positive results or whatever. And, and it's, you know, that's a good up. question. I've looked back at this because, you know, mm -hmm. I've, you know, since then I've looked for these type of opportunities and a lot of times those don't work. And I, I, I've, the way yeah. I look at stocks, like it's changed a little bit, actually a lot of it. And I, I've tried to look back at this, my tech, was it just a one-off and luck? And, you know, I think, um, I think one, it was priced way too low to begin with. Um, and then it overshot that that's for sure. But I, ultimately, I think the timing that 2010, um, if you invested, I, I mean, in that time frame, like there was massive returns and especially yeah. a lot of micro caps and small caps, oil and gas, like all these companies, Every, everything China stocks, currency. you remember US listed China stock, like there was just a lot of you know, nobody was investing in small caps, then people were investing in small caps, right? So I think there was, it was really the timing. And, um, and then what I talk about sometimes is, is the conviction and the sizing. I mean, it was, you put a 20%, 30% of your net worth in a company, and it goes up that much, it's meaningful, right? And um, I don't advise people to, to have, be concentrated like that. I think it's risky. But it's it's not also if you if you've done it before I believe it's you know, a great way to invest because I mean look nobody makes money under you know people talk about like diversification and doing really well with your thirtieth best idea but I don't know I've never had a I've never regretted not owning more of like a number eight holding honestly I've never because yeah. I've what, always been my I'm, good holding so you have like six or seven yeah most, most you know I, okay. I try not to go over ten but you know six yeah. or seven names. Um, and I'm sure you've talked about concentration and, on your show, but 
you know, because I'm so concentrated, you, you have to, you have to run it differently than, you know, somebody that's more diversified. Like when people pitch Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, I, I think there, I think there's a lot of great stuff there, but it's not for me because I'm a, I just, it's a program to be concentrated. So for me to put a 20% position in a cryptocurrency, it's extremely, for me, it's extremely speculative because I have to put 20% of my net worth into it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, for those reasons, it's hard for me. Like, uh, for me, I just can't put 1% into some things and I'll just end up doing it a hundred times. And it, it's just not what I do. It's what bigger investors do. But um, so it, it does explain why I look at things a certain way. I mean, when you're so concentrated, you have to think about risk a lot more. And you have mm-hmm. to think about your down. People do not, especially now, people do not think about their downside at all. Right. I, that, that's a whole other rabbit hole. I, we're going to come back to that because I think that's a really interesting conversation to talk about some of the market frothiness and just some of the insanity that we've all seen. I mean, we, you talked about crypto a little bit, like uh, we'll get there, um, but it ties into some of your criteria, you know, that, that I wanted to speak with you about, you know, I think one of our, our your Twitter followers who I will pull up in a second and give credit to after you give your answer, but I wanted to talk about your your five forces that you that you put out there in your um, in this memo to uh, to one of your holdings, uh, defense. So love to learn a little bit more about what your the SOSA's five forces of investing are. So so let's my get into um, it. you know the way I've looked at at investments has changed. It has changed over the last ten years. Um, and I think it's you know for every investor you wanted to uh, you want to evolve right I mean it's but it's good to 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 look for a certain look for certain things um, I am a generalist I, I do tend I will look at anything but of course you know I think everyone they they look for things that they have had success in in the past right I mean I have nothing against all industry you know just I I do feel comfortable just with certain stories and certain industries. Um, but but I think I always have to start with management. Like the great thing about micro caps and, and even small caps is like you can meet these people, right? And um, they, you might not be able to do a podcast with them or 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 talk with them for a certain period of time. But there there's all these avenues for for to be able to meet them, even ones that are really shut down and don't don't you know don't do conference calls and stuff. If a shareholder calls, they will talk to you, um, and because of that, I feel you can learn so much from them and you really can understand, you know, where they are, what bucket you can put them in. Right. So um, I think a lot of people might not be, you know, great fundamental investors, but I think most people in general can uh, get a good read on somebody. Right. And they think they can't, they think a CEO is meaningless, but you can learn a lot from a CEO's incentive. So really the, the one thing I, the most important thing I see is the management, right. And, and are they people that, like you're, you're going to put 20% of your portfolio into something. You got to be somewhat passionate about them. I mean, they, they, you know, I know Buffett talks about owning businesses that, you know, can, are idiot proof. Right. But, you know, I, for me, I do like management teams that, that are either fanatical or just really predictable. And I say predictable a lot um, because I think people, you want people to be predictable because, you know, the worst management teams really are the ones that are unpredictable where they just do things like, why do they do that? Um, and I think that's when you can get really burnt because they, they usually they always wanted to do, but they didn't, you know, tell that to you. You don't want someone lying to you. Right. And, um, so character, I think is something in, in execution and predictability. You want to know what you have, right. You want, you have to know what you have in a CEO and if they're good. I mean, I, I say that word fanatical, you know, how do you, how can you know a CEO is fanatical? I think it's 
judge a character, you can just talk to them, see how they see what how they talk, and then talk to their employees, right? Like people will talk. Like, you know, I know you know Ben Claremont. I mean, he he does a good job. You know, he he talked about on the podcast with me how much due diligence they do with employees. Like it's so easy to contact somebody, yeah, especially now with social media and LinkedIn. Like most of them will talk to you. Um, you know, I had Cheryl Beichelder from Popeyes and and we talked a little bit about that. And she said, yeah, just go to Popeyes. Like a franchisee owner will talk to you. Like they'll, they're, they love it. You know, sometimes they're a little skeptical because they're worried, but you know, you can get a good read and you want, a, you want a good culture and, a, and you don't need the best. You don't need a Google like culture, but you want a good culture. You want a management team that's predictable, that is driven, right? It's really, really driven. Um, that they own stock, but you know, sometimes, you know, that's where one where I've kind of evolved. I think like, I, I don't need the 30%, 40%, you know, of the company owned by the CEO. I think it can present problems if they own too much, quite frankly, but I do, I do like some skin in the game. Um, Cause I, I think people forget like not, not all management teams are stock, are stock people, right? They, they don't look at it that way. They look at it as a source of income. They're not, you know, thinking like Warren Buffett and, you know, not paying taxes, right. That they're thinking about their family and cash flow. Right. And they know usually the market is unpredictable. Right. Sometimes they can't even value their own company, quite frankly. Uh, and I actually like that. I like that. I love everything that you just said about talking to management. I mean, it's so, it's so true. I mean, look, you're also coming off. I, I just had a week doing our, 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 our virtual yeah. event in Canada and, you know, talking with CEOs, doing the CEO interviews and listening to 70 presentations. And it's really, it's so, it's such valuable, valuable information. You know, if you're going to take the time to go and actually see the presentation, take that 20 minutes to talk to the CEO, you know, that's differential insights that maybe some others who would rather not do that, that, you know, might save you some money or result in a huge win where you, you can now, you just get, you get a better idea of the tenor of the CEO. Like how cocky are they, you know, or, or how, how, how like, subdued or conservative are they? you know, you don't just get that from reading a 10 K or 10 Q, you know? Um, I mean, some can, because, you know, some are like Maj who, you know, info arbitrage, like I've been doing it 30 years and could probably tell, but even he loves talking with management teams still after doing it for 30 years. And he's one of the best in the business, you know? So I, I'm a hundred percent agree pretty much with almost. Yeah, I, I love it. I think it's so important. And, you know, people, you know, they rely on podcasts and, and uh, you know, other pitches, which, other which is people, fine, other pitches, which is but they fine don't know that they can just for, call them. You know, they they, they yeah. have the ability, and you know anyone that with a basic understanding of business, basic, you know, I think they can just get a read on someone. Like, do I do, am I going to give? Because you're essentially giving that person your money, right? Like, do I trust this person? With people them run I, businesses. I yeah. Do I? You got it exactly. <laughs> you got to trust it, right? Um, you have. That's it, so important to me because it. it you know, it start everything starts there. I think, right? I mean, it starts there, and you you want them. Granted, you don't know them as much as you ever could, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, I think people, you know, you want you want to give your money to someone that when they say they're going to do something, they do it and they execute yeah. and they can explain it to you and that they're excited about what they're doing. So that that's one. That's one. That's the most important. And I've that that is something that's evolved over the last few years, right? When I've been able to talk to more of these people, and then a lot has evolved from the losses, right? You know, you know, yeah. you look back at your losers, right? And then you see the pattern um, of why, you know, you get too caught up in some of the other things I'll talk about and you ignore the, the primary, you know, the, the um, you know, everyone has their subjective ways to look at people, but 
for me, I, you know, I think I built like I, I, I want to know what I have. So that's good. So the second thing I think is, <laughs> I was just really, going to say, we've, we've done 15 minutes on one force. I know, I know. I, I don't wanna, I, it was the, the most important <laughs> and the others are easier, right? The others are easier. So I, I talked about my tech. It was, you know, my tech, I would classify as I think what a lot of micro cap investors look for, you know, the, the biggest one, the, the, narr- the revaluation, the narrative change, right? If, at the end of the day, if you own a stock that's cheap, like there's a reason it's cheap, right? It's either too small, which, you know, the micro caps are usually too small, right? And so the narrative change for me is like, okay, well, it'll get bigger. And once it does, and if you can predict that, you know, institutional money coming in, like, you can have a, a monster of a stock, right? Um, but uh, but what I, I think like more is, and I've had a lot more success with it recently, and I'll, and I'll talk about DFIN, which fits all these five after I finish, but it's really the, the narrative change, right? Because a lot of these businesses, especially when you go into small cap and mid cap, they're not like micro caps that are unknown, right? They're, they're pretty well known. Like you, you got to give, you know, people talk about efficient markets and you know what, they, like I'll give Buffett credit. The markets are pretty efficient, right? When you go in small to mid cap land um, and even some of the bigger, more liquid micro caps, like yeah, they're pretty well known, you know? Um, they're pretty well known, and uh, so I was you called have the, to see like I, why are they trading the way they are, right? I call them the, the, a, the cult microcaps. Yeah, the cult <laughs> microcaps. Yeah, they're well known. So well known. it's um, and they are like you know, the microcaps individual investors can drive them, right? So um, but so I, I like the narrative changes. So you know, with DFIN, you have a legacy printer that was part of R.R. Donnelly, a legacy printer that's still a printer just getting t- taken out that, you know, they're known as a, a conglomerate, a roll-up of printing assets. And DFIN was in essence, a company that was really rolled up into R.R. Donnelly really 2006 to 2011, right? So it was, you know, just recently that they had um, bought DFIN to really attack the um, capital markets industry and, and uh, the printing in that industry. Um, so when they spun out of R.R. Donnelly, really out of necessity, and the company was inf- just falling apart, right? And a lot of debt. They spun off DFIN, another company, LSC. I did magazines and like textbooks. So DFIN was just, they're going to focus on capital markets. We're going to just throw as much debt as feasibly possible because we can't handle it. We would just put as much as, we can give them as much as they can handle um, so that it doesn't go to zero. Um, so... They did that and they they took on a plan and said we're gonna, you know, we're gonna be a software company. And they said that really, you know, a year into that spin-off in 2017, that like, we're gonna be a software company. We have these clients um, that pay us, you know, for printing prospectuses. That's the really big thing, like printing IPO docs. That was what you know you, you'd think of a legacy Donnelly business. But you know, we have that and we have these nice software products that we can just sell them at the same time. Right. Like, you know, you're all your filing of 10 Q's, 10 K's, um, you're no longer printing them as much, but you're you got to file them with the SEC. And we're going to push that. That's much more. It's just better, more recurring. And, you know, we do have some money to invest in that um, because even though they had a lot of debt, they still had a business, a legacy business that was had a bunch of free cash flow. So they were using all that free cash flow, pumping it into the software. And go ahead. You're going to ask. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, like, so. Like on this point of narrative change, do you is that is that something that you look at as part of your idea generation, or yes. is that some okay? All right, I was just right. so with defense, you have like a in company. hindsight, yeah. in hindsight, yeah. it's easy to say like, oh, I yeah. love narrative change, and then you see the performance, but it's like it makes more sense when it's like okay, right? So with defense, you have a okay. legacy printer right. that, quite frankly, is trading today. In my opinion, 
still as a cyclical legacy printer, a cyclical business is, you know, okay business, you know, but it's tied into the capital markets. And by the way, the capital markets are experiencing something we have not experienced since I was in college and I didn't look at stocks, right? The IPO market's never been stronger. So, you know, they've benefited clearly. Um, and that has, I think, taken the stock from, you know, 10 to, to 40. I think that has taken, moved, really moved the stock. I mean, look, the earnings, you go from, you know, $120 million of EBITDA to 300 on essentially the same sales, right? And just the, the margins exploded. Well, not the same sales. They sold some businesses. So yeah, you can say that they grew. Um, but, you know, for me, the real money, like people say, oh, it went to 40. Like it's, you went to 10 to 40. Great job, Sosa. I was like, well, no, because there was a lot of things happening in that time that you couldn't have predict, right? Like there was a lot of changes. Like they, they print a lot less now. And then their software, which was only like 12%, 12, 15% of the business of sales in 2016. I mean, you're, it's approaching 30 and every employee I've spoken to there, they'll say 44 and 44, 44 and 24, 44% software in 2024. Like that's all over the company. So, you know, if they're doing 50%, 60% of sales in software, it's going to re be re-rated. I don't care where we are with growth stocks and software stocks. Like in three or four years, if they can get half their business in software that's growing 20, 30% versus a legacy business that's really not growing and very cyclical, um, like the software business is not cyclical. Some of the growth might be, but at the end of the day, it's a recurring payment. Like you got to file, right? The only way you're going to lose that business is that company gets taken out or goes bankrupt. Um, that's people don't just change their providers of this stuff. So if they're known as a growth company, I mean, the, the multiple change and re-rate is incredible, right? Like it's how, you know, $40, you throw a, a fraction of a Broadridge or Workiva multiple, which are comparable companies and, and some of the software subsidiaries and Broadridge is the, the most comparable company as a, you know, a hold co and you have like a $200 stock, right? Like it's, you know, it's, that, that's what I look for. You know, I don't look for companies that are, you know, I, I, okay. Okay. It's worth 20% more. It's not, that's not why I invested a company, right? Like I, I see their vision. I see what they're trying to do. And more importantly, I see that no one else cares because they only see it's a legacy print business, right? Cyclical. Um, and then you have to take a leap of faith and say like, no, I, everything that they're doing, it's working and you're not, they're not getting any credit for it. And, and I understand why they're not getting credit for it, but eventually they keep doing it. You know, you can have this massive re-rating, massive re-rating. And I, th that's what I say by narrative change in the sense of, um, you know, we talk about Mike Mitchell, he says ignore narrative, but I think narrative is everything. It drives stocks, right? If you're, if you're a, you know, a boring legacy printer versus an exciting 30% growth software company, like 30% growing software companies, like, we don't even have to talk about multiples because they're extraordinary. Are they too high? Maybe, but you just get half of that and, you know, defense much higher. So I like that. And in, in investment, I like that, that change. Well, that well change. it's, he's, I mean, it, you know, going on that point from Mike, I mean, he's right in and probably off on in certain respects, but like, you might want to pay attention to it. If you know, you're seeing this thing just absolutely explode or, right. or go down, then you're like, okay, what the heck's going on here? You know, then and I you think that's th what the handle means, right? right. You want to you yeah. just stick to the fundamentals, right? right. Not of course what people see and, <laughs> and the hype. Right. And, but the great thing is with a lot of the stocks that you talk about, there's no hype, right? I like no hype, you know, with narrative changes and um, the valuation re-rate. Like I, I say to my, I say to people, look, as a great investor, you have to be good fundamentally, but you also right. have to be pretty good predicting trends, right? Most people yeah. are one or the other. 
the great ones are both, right? And if you can predict both, um, you're gonna you're gonna do well. And and uh, you know, with with fundamentals and multiples, like you know, I don't I don't mind paying high multiples, but usually high multiples mean that it's a pretty well known company. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it just it translates that way. It just works that way, right? If yeah. companies got more love, it's you know it's better known. And and if it's not known, then um, that's when it, that's you know usually when it's cheaper. When you start with a low base, it's it's better. So I, I don't I, I do that. I, I don't. I'm not strict. I used to be more strict on it, but I think it you know value investors can get hurt, right? Like mm-hmm. they can get hurt just constantly looking at low multiple stocks and then selling them, right? They all sell them too early, which drives me nuts. Like with Defin. I- Every value investor, a lot of them bought it, like all the screens. But when, when the world came to an end last year with COVID, it was price, price for bankruptcy on a, you know, a, a liquidation, right? Uh, Fidelity, PM left, liquidated like that. Um, and all the screens picked it up and they saw the cash flow and the debt and like, you know, this, this is not going to zero. That was, that's why I took such a big position, right? Frankly, last year, I knew I'd done the work for three years, but I never really owned it. I said, this company's not, it's not going to zero. There's no way. And its price is a zero. And then, so a lot of value investors came in like four or five and they sold at 12, right? And, you know, they're missing the whole reason why I bought it in the first place. It was like this, all these things happening that I think now we're seeing, now we're seeing. So next one is the recurring cash flow. Like Maj talks about this. I know it, look, everyone wants recurring cash flow. You want to be able to predict cash in some shape or form, right? That's important. Like, you know, Business is hard, right? And and having unpredictable cash flows. Wait, yeah. you don't you don't like pre-revenue? Being, <laughs> no, you, you, know, you don't no. know how to predict pre-revenue you know, no, moonshots. I don't. I mean, come on. I, I don't. I like to be able to. You know, on. No one can predict it, right? But I like to be able to, <laughs> you know, take a haircut to something and say, like, you know, with defense, sure, like they're going to do two hundred twenty million dollars of free cash flow. They're not going to probably do that, you know, for for years. I mean, they might, but you know, I I do like to take a, a haircut on what was the, what's the worst case scenario. And it's easy to go back and say what's the worst case scenario. And um, I like that. I mean, they they have a lot of recurring business, and people have to file documents like that. Unless the whole everybody goes bankrupt. Oh, by the way, they make a lot of money on bankruptcies, right? Like you know, they make a lot of money when. They make less money when things slow down. Like that's what you don't want. You don't want low activity, but that that just never happens. You know, with with the capital markets, you know, IPOs stop, M and A's will slow down. But there's always something, right? And there's not something. Probably nobody's making money, quite frankly. And then no stocks working. So then, so everyone, that's an easy one. And then the capital allocation, like this one's a lot of what a lot of people talk about. And I think also that's I've evolved with that, right? Like I think how managers. Um, dictate their flows or capital flows, how they, how they buy, how they think about stock buybacks, right. And how they think about investing for growth, super important, right. That's something you can look back and that kind of goes back to a predictable management team. Like you trust that they'll do things like, and like going back, tying in with Defin, like what, and so right before COVID, you know, they, they actually the worst time, but they had their, for like, since I'd followed the stock in 2017, 2017, 2019, since they were new, the CEO couldn't present. They were terrible at presenting. The numbers were super volatile. They missed guidance every quarter. And you understand, I mean, I, and I learned why, but you know, there was also things that they couldn't control, right? And then finally, I think when they figured it all out, February, 2020, I saw the, re- the release, everything they said was amazing. And then COVID, like it's like, you know, it, so that's what gave me so much. They had their best card. Nobody cared. Actually, nobody cared because it was like not time to care, right? Who cares, right? Who cares? COVID, everyone's dying. Everyone's going, end of the world, right? And 
And then I saw in their first quarter release that when this was what got me so excited and tying the cat, they went out when the world was ending, you know, in March and April, they bought back a ton of debt, like at 85 cents in the dollar. And they bought that stock, right? Like who goes back and uses their revolver to buy, well, they had high debt, right? They had eight and a half percent coupon debt. They went out and bought it at a huge discount because they had money. And like for me, that was just uh, you know, to do that kind of stuff. Like management teams don't do that, especially a company like Defin, right? That you know nobody really knows. They're skeptical of, and to do that kind of stuff is they take care. They cared and they had enough conviction. And that's conviction in their business um, to do that. And and that's what I I, I loved. I like to see the predictable capital allocation, and I want to see. You know, and, and then the last one really ties into capital allocation. Like, you know, I like some of these big guys, like, you know, you John Malone, you know what, you know, when they, when all somebody's doing is buying back, if, if a pitch revolves around stock buybacks, I, I would probably pass. And I, I've just always gotten burnt, not burnt, but, you know, if someone buys back all the time, that's the whole story. Like, it just means that there's nothing more interesting to invest in. And I don't know, like, I just, I'm a capitalist at heart. And like, I, I think there's always something. And, um, and you know, if there's not, that's okay. And the stock will fi- do fine. But I just, for me, the, the, you know, the asymmetry is not there anymore. If it's just buybacks, right. Just buybacks, buybacks. And I'll, I might keep some of my watch lists when the world ends, you know, they're good names to just buy, right. Cause you know, they're, they're going to be fine. Um, but you know, I want, and I need to see some sales growth and some growth. Right. And, and then back to defense, people think, oh, well, it's not growing. They predict one to 2% sales growth. Well, you know, through my research, I feel that they're not, you know, they, there's more growth there and there's more growth that they're leading on to and the software, which what anybody cares about growth there. I think they're incredibly, they're just lowballing it. I think they don't care what anybody thinks. Like they have three value investors that cover them. I think because they wanted to be involved in the refinance that they, they weren't. And I, I don't think they're going to cover. I, I, I just think there's just no communication between them and the street anymore and that they want the growth analysts, but the growth analysts aren't going to cover them. I mean, they're not there yet. This, you know, they're not a growing company. Um, they might have parts of their business that are growing a lot, but you don't get growth coverage for that. Right. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the, the way I look at stocks. Those are the five highlights, right? Like the, the big ones. I mean, obviously there's, there's little things, but I think those are, they have, it has to meet all five, right. They have to meet them all. And if they don't, it's, it's just not really for me, right? Like it's, it's, it just, I haven't found success in it. Like, and, and then these five ways I look at stocks, like that, that's just my, the way I look at things. I've had success. You can make a lot of money w- totally different ways. Like, I, like we've talked about crypto. We've talked about pre right You can make money, all that stuff, but it has to be, you have to know it. It has to be your game. Like I mentioned this the other day when growth was selling off, like don't just go buy growth stocks. You need to know those stocks. Like, Growth investors, people, you know, us value, us value people will, will kind of bag on growth investors. But you know what? There's some great growth investors and they're, most of the growth investors are garbage or are not good. But there's some really good ones that understand the business and they know what they own. Right? No, it's, you're 100% right. Like, I always have to be very careful on here because, look, you know, there's a good amount of microcap investors that are, are just mostly day traders. Right. And, you know, I, I've, I've been wanting to have more day traders on to really talk about it a little bit more because I, I need to change my mindset about that because I'm like you were, you know, I mean, look, I got all, all the books here. Right. I mean, um, you know, Buffettite, that kind of, that idea of just, you're buying businesses, you're looking at companies, but you're right. At the end of the day, whatever works best for you and you're making money, who are we to judge? 
Yeah, exactly. As long as I think as long as there's a process, right? Um, Because you can make money in all those different. And we talk about Soros, right? The biggest like the speculator, right? Like he doesn't even say it. I think there's more than just speculation on his part, but you know, sure. There, there's nothing wrong with it. But you just you don't change styles all of a sudden. I I always tell people that like don't you know they'll get you in trouble. So I want I want to go back to one of the forces. Uh, I want I want to go back to narrative change because this is really interesting to me, especially when it comes to idea generation. How do you screen for it? I mean, like that's really that's the thing. That's why you just you just have to come across it. No, I I think that's why you know like look I've seen some people talk about like how like you know ideas theirs or whatever. It's like no, you know what? For me, it's like this is why you have to have a network. A defin. So my buddy called me and he was like a value investor. Of course, it sold like at eighteen dollars. Like he called me so passionate about this business. And I was like, what? And then his pitch was that they're going to get, so they got, they spun off of R and Donnelly to get sold. And that was, I mean, I've done the work that, that was the, the intention, right? They, they, they kind of built it up that way. And like with spinoffs, you know, they're, they're always, something's always spun off for a reason. It probably was the reason that time. Right. Um, but you know, he, he's the one that gave him that idea. Like you can't, best situations, you, unfortunately you can't screen for it. That's why they're special. Right. Because if you screen Defen. It'll screen, it'll, it just, there's no, it'll screen one. There's not a ton of information. I mean, there is, but it's been, you know, you got 10 years information, which not a lot, right. Um, which is a, you know, combination of companies, but you, if you screen it, it's going to just screen at a, it's going to screen as a, a value stock that's cyclical, right. And value investors won't touch it because they see that. I mean, it's trading at, you know, nine times earnings, which, you know, when I talk about defend, that sounds incredibly cheap, but if you look at, cyclical businesses that you know have been no have no sales growth right and that's not that that that's not that cheap right you know maybe you give it 12 multiple okay well nine to 12 not a lot not a big difference right um it'll it'll be owned by the etfs and stuff like that um but that's why you have these and i you know people think like everyone finds these things you know they don't like why why would you look at defense Right. You might have looked at it. The people that and this is why I explain to people like, which I get fascinated by how the flows change. Right. Like the value investors all owned it and they, they all sold it. And we talk about JPO. I saw JPO, Shannon, see all the, the, um, the quant funds, they all owned it, but they long gone. Right. As soon as it, it hit the mark. Right. I mean, as soon as it went from like eight to 20, it was out. It was gone. It was easy game. It was easy. It's that screened easy. Right. But then you had this no man's land and, um, you know, I, I mentioned, I think Dennis Hong, like I, he posts a lot of good stuff, right? He posted something on, you know, how a lot of times like the returns you don't see for five years. That's like textbook. Well, I think why, like, you know, a lot of these things, like if you, if you have changes, if you're investing in like a narrative change or doing something different, it takes time. And people think, oh, well, Netflix will just do that. Or they'll just do that. No businesses don't work that way. You, a business can't just do something. You know, Apple just can't make a Peloton bike. Like even Apple, like you think it is easy, but I've learned it is not. There's so many things that put, you don't just, like, that's why I'm actually fascinated by Twitter. They just like throw like, you know, a spaces thing out of nowhere. Like they just do random products. But for the most part, companies don't just randomly launch products and launch businesses, right? It's just, you have shareholders involved. You have so many things involved. Um, so when you see a company do it, you know, when they don't have to, Right. That's when it gets me really excited. Like, why is it a defense? They didn't have to do this, but they made a decision to get smaller. Right. And invest in something where they didn't really know the outcome. 
They won't. I mean, they had a good idea that it would grow, but they were taking money away from buybacks. You know, they paid down all that high cost debt. So that that's great. But you know, now this is for me, the inflection point is like, well, they don't have any more debt to pay off. They, they have none. What are they going to do with $200 million in free cash flow in a $1.5 billion company? What are they going to do with it? Right. I don't think they're going to just buy back stock. Right. Cause that's not exciting to me. They're going to buy back stock, you know, every quarter. And then I think they're going to invest in this, invest more than what, you know, all their long-term plans uh, guide them for, because, you know, the, the, the actual cyclical part of the business is so strong that they have just all this money. Um, and then they finally have something that they can invest in. Right. And, um, that takes time, you know, that, that takes time. And, you know, I've, I've talked about this narrative change, like with other people and I've heard of circumstances. I probably should have wrote and written them down. Like a lot of, I've seen, like I heard about one that I can't tell you the company, but they were, I don't even, I guess I don't remember the ticker. Like they were, they were doing like um, real estate, just regular real estate. And they moved into like towers, right? Like just tower real estate, like a narrative change from like traditional to towers, right? They just moved the money into towers, right. like total narrative change. Um, for, still a real estate company, but they just went 360. Like, but they had to make an effort. Like, and, and that's not easy. Be, you know, everything has to be approved by a board, right? So you make a change like that. It's not only not easy, but it does take time, right? And so I go back to Dennis's post. It's like sometimes things when you have a plan, you invest for growth. Like you just don't get immediate pay. Everyone wants immediate payback, but things take time. Like Defan has worked well the last year, but. It's worked because of investment with two reasons. It's worked because of one, the capital markets have done really well, but two, like their investments that they made five years ago, right? Like they, like they talk about how, and when during COVID, like they did the first, they helped um, a company be the first virtual IPO. As you know, with roadshows and stuff like, you know, IPOs are done in person, right? And they were actually the first one out of necessity that um, because of the investments they had made to do, do, do everything remote, you know, from the belt, you know, ringing the bell, everything. Um, they helped do that. So it, um, it does take time and, and it's not most of my, a lot of them I think do fail. And, and, and I'll tell you this, the ones that fail in my opinion, are the ones that are hyped more. Right. And this is not one of my five forces, but I do tend to avoid, you know, the, and, and it's the contrarian in me, but I do tend to avoid the crowded names. Um, and the over-promotional CEOs, right? Those are, you know, those are things uh, that and I understand. I, I was just going to go there with you is, is talk to you about your first force a little bit more in, in management. You know, yeah, I, I, like I, I talk about that a lot on here, but everybody has a different take because everybody has a different impression of like what they like or what they see as interesting. So yeah, keep going on management there, you know, you know with, with, over, with the on the promotional look, it's, it's, a, you know, I, so I talk about Global Hunter and I talk about, you know, I know you, you're involved with the Canadian stocks. Like I've made money in the promotional CEOs and I've not made money. Right. And, um, and, and I think in, in that sense, a promotional CEO is promotional for a reason, right. Cause they have to, and there's nothing wrong. It's their job. Right. And it, it or they, it's, they think it's their job. Right. And uh, you know, look up materials and minerals and gold, all those companies, they, they have to be promotionals, right? So it's different. They, they have to be. And to be fair, yeah. at our event that we just had this week, we literally had one. <laughs> it was yeah. like all, it was like all tech names, but anyway, so sorry. So. Right. But so a lot of them are, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just, I've avoided it because gotta do what they're gonna do. especially the crowded ones, right? The crowded ones. Um, because if they're promotional, it's not a crowded trade. It probably means that it's not, there's not much there to begin with. But if they're promotional and super crowded, I just don't like crowded opportunities, right? And and you know, I you know, I've just tended to like, you know, like Dave Waters is really good with this. I think if you had him on, he's really good and 
really good with finding these names. Dave, Dave is, I've had I've had him on multiple times here, and then also on the roundtable. And yeah, you know, and, and then my, you know, he can talk more about it. it. Was this you know PIOE? That's actually my my second hold, largest holding, and and it's kind of that similar grain. Like they, um, you know, it was look NOL shell to private equity behemoth is not really a narrative change. They were NOL shell, right? So it's not like they changed their business, right? That, that's what the business they took, but. It is in the sense that it, and they fits the criteria. It did change, you know, their business model from a nothing to a something. Um, but you know, they're they don't promote themselves, right? Like they, these guys, they have a business plan, and they'll tell you everything you need to know, and they'll just execute and they'll execute, and then you see it, and then you can understand why people avoid it. But it's like they don't they don't care, right? They're just like keep producing and producing, and then and then for some reason nobody cares right they don't no one promote no one talks about them and they're okay with that um and i'm fascinated by these companies too and and, and like all these companies there's a, quite a few of them that just don't they don't they don't have like having quarterly sales calls they don't they don't like um they don't like even having an ir person you know everyone's got different opinions on ir persons like i, I think ir person's a good thing right they can help manage things and and ultimately, it's a good thing for a company to have. If you want an IR person, you want to be able to tell your story. You want to have a deck, right? You want people to be able there's to- a big, There's a big difference between like, you know, just promoting and like just telling your story. Like I, I'm a, and I'm not being self-serving when I say this, you know, we host events and all that kind of stuff. Like, I do think it's really important for companies, even if they're much more conservative on doing conference calls or putting out a lot of press releases, you do owe it to the public markets and to your shareholders that you do need to tell the story. You do, you do. And that's a double-edged sword, right? You do. And, right. and, and I think, and then we talk about over-promotion, but it is, I think people have, do have to realize that it's something that they have to do. Like everyone, people and it can be generally benefit from a higher stock yeah. price, right? And it's your, it is your job in essence to, um, you know, ultimately you don't want to be self. So this is where I go back to John Malone. Like people will fight, but you know, he doesn't care about stock price. You know, he cares about you know his portfolio and that's fine. It's just, you know, you know, I, I, I do want a, a board of management that do care about shareholders uh, in the sense where they think that's a priority. You know, they don't, they don't need to be, you know, doing every podcast and, and going on the road every single, you know, other doing week. every conference, right. like they, they don't you know, right. Those they don't need the- to do all of that, but you know, to do it, you know, the, you know, a couple of times a year, you know, like I know you have a conference to be, you know, to be on a conference every year. Like that's just something that that's, it's good for them. It checks the box and at least they, tr- they try, right. They're right. trying to fulfill that. Ob- I mean, like you want to be able to, when you do research on a company, you want to be able to immediately see a podcast and see a, you know, a presentation from management, like, you know, see a few people talk about it. It it makes it easier. Right. Like it it just does. Um, So especially when you're talking microcasts, because some of these stories are very complicated and it's a really good practice for you. Like when you're not just in your own bubble, it's like, how does nobody understand this? It's like, well, you know, you're, it's a very difficult story to understand because for the most part, you know, you're not dealing with, for the most part, you know, you're not dealing with a supplement company or consumer good, you know, you're dealing with the, the parts and the, you know, the, the component of this or that, or, you know, so you need, so it's good practice to get out there to tell the story so that you can get better at telling it, you know, um, and, and to help, you know, get more folks involved. Uh, potential. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah. just educate people because that's, I mean, ultimately, I think, you know, what I love about, 
and I joked about this the other day is that micro cap investors are, you know, kind of just a different breed, right? It's just, they all are like, for some reason have weird similarities. Like it's like, it's amazing how similar micro cap investors are. They oh, just we all have, everything. we all, have a, we have that tick, you know? It's yeah. It's just, like a tick. I don't know what yeah. it is. And I don't know, like, I mean, I shared my background, <laughs> but it was it's not really clear why I enjoy it. I think it's that, you know, the contrarianism, right? It's like, you yeah. know, and then the work, I, I think for me, it's the work you can do and the, what you can learn. And it's like an adventure. Like, it's like, you know, digging for gold, right? Like you're, you know, you're, you can learn so much and it's like, it's like nobody else, nobody else is doing the work. Right. And, and I mean, it's just cool. Like I, I talk about acorn and, you know, they, they monitor generators, like uh, industrial generators and home generators. So it's like, kind of cool. Like talk to the Generac guy, like, what do you think about, you know, Omnimetrics, right? They're subsidiary. Like, what do you think about it? And it's kind of fun, right? And it's fun and you know, share it, but yeah, you know, like when you share it to a friend, like, what is this? What do you think about Tesla? Like, I was like, what? Like Tesla, I have no, I have no opinion on Tesla, right? Yeah, no, like I, I was literally, I mean, I do this like literally every day. It's, you know, you start with the big idea. It's like, hey, what do you know about the, uh, you know, this industry? I'm like, oh, well, let me tell you, this is how we do things. This is what we like. And then you're like, oh, that's interesting because there's this one little micro cap that's doing it a little different. Like, what do you think about that? You know, and they'd be like, oh, I don't know. Like, that could be interesting. And that's like, all right, well, maybe, maybe I might want to look into this a little more. Or you're like, oh, oh okay, good. Like how know, many stories? I, I mean, you use stories for days. That's about so stuff. fun. I love when you know you talk about you do this and you run into someone that like well, like me sometimes. You're like, oh yeah, you hear about this, and and I was like, okay, how much how much do they do in sales? That's they'll be like, it's so amazing. They have this technology, this patent, like these twenty patents. No one can beat it. And then it's like Shark Tank. It's like, well, how many how much do they do in sales? Like, well, they do eight hundred thousand dollars. Like, okay, you know, well, it's grown thirty percent. I was like, okay, well, so. <laughs> You know, it's eight hundred thousand dollars, and it's a right. it's, well, it's only fifteen million market cap. It's like, well, they did it eight hundred thousand dollars, and they only sold thirty percent. Like, you know, it's like, you know, that's I think you know, I don't, I know we're we're we don't have too much time, but the thing with micro caps, people let's keep still, let's keep wrapping. We're good. Yeah, they're still small. Like micro caps are small, right? They don't yeah. they don't have the budget to do things. Like they think about you know risk a lot more than a big big company, right? That are engines, right? Like it, you know, the micro cap is kind of a you know, they, they're, they're definitely, they, um, they're kind of the, the odd person out a lot of times, right? They don't, oh, they can't, they just don't have the budget for things. They, you know, when you have a low revenue base and cash flow base, like you just can't, you just can't do the same things, right? And you'll just never get the flows, right? Unless that, that's your game, right? You want to grow and, you know, become an empire builder, but most micro caps aren't like that. And quite frankly, I found the most successful ones really are just slow and steady, right? That's why you got to give someone like David Waters, like, you know, credit to find these things and, uh, and to do work on them and just sit on them, right? Like, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I would love to be able to do something like that. Just, you know, you, you can just read and read and read and, 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 you know, I love my podcast with him because he just talks about like how he would, and this, I do this too sometimes with the OTC website, just put refresh, right? I thought that was the funniest thing in the world. It's like, how do you get your information? Well, I put refresh. <laughs> you know, like, well, you're waiting for a press release and then come up. It's like, well, sometimes you have to go on the website. It's like, yeah, I've been there. I put refresh, right? Like PIOE, I remember when they were a pink sheet stock. They're not anymore. They did an IPO. Um, this is always frustrating. Like you had to, they would put out a press release on the OTC website. Then you'd go on it and they'd say, Oh, well you actually have to go on our website to get the press release. Then you go on there and it takes you to their website. And then on their website, you got to go to another link. Right. And then you go to another link and then it sends you to the SEC website. It's like, I mean, you know, like, couldn't you just done this all in one press release? Like, and the press release is like three paragraphs. Right. So you know, like things like that, I just, 
I, I'm always shocked and I'm sure it has something to do with the filing requirements and, and how they do it. And, and then just no interest to, to make it right. Right. Like these things. And it, it's just, you go in this micro cap land, it's, it's an adventure, right. And then sharing it. It's such an adventure, right? Like I like sharing stories um, one for feedback, but two um, to educate. So you know, I've mentioned this on my podcast, like growing your network is so important, right? Cause you, you can't filter that. You can't screen these things. You can't like in micro cap land and special situations, you can't screen them. They're not unscreenable. Right. So it's like, you got to build what works for you. Yeah. You know, the things that have worked for me, you know, you might've had bad situations. Like somebody pitched me the other day, hire quest, which is like a, a franchise of, um, you know, uh, like a, like basically, um, like hiring, right. The, you know, the, the uh, and and um, cool, but you know, I, I might one of my biggest losses ever, permanent co- you know capital loss, was a company called Volt. Was was same. They did the same thing, right? They weren't a franchise company. They didn't. They have franchise, but but they essentially, you know, you know, they hired and fired. They hired people. You know, it was third party hire. And so that's what they did, and uh, it did work, it, work, it was a disastrous investment for me, and I didn't understand the business enough. I didn't do the work, and. Uh, you know, but that's an experience, nothing against, you know, these type of companies, uh, but it, it did not work and I won't look at it again. So, you know, I, it's just something I, you know, people pitch me and it sounds great, but it's like, this that's not for me. So I tell people, just be comfortable, right? There's always going to be, there's always something you just got to look and, right. you know, you got to look and, and then, you know, be skeptical, but, you know, you'd be surprised. Like, and when Maj talks about this, you know, you know, information arbitrage, like I see it, right? Like I see it, I see it. And it's not just in micro caps. You see it in the small caps too. Like I've been fascinated, like, you know, with defense, I think I, you know, I found that arbitrage and it's not there. And it's like, it's like people aren't reading the same things. It's like, I, I it's there and people don't care because maybe because the information is not something, something you could screen for, but a screen can't just autom- automatically translate that into, because um, a lot of times companies, you know, they'll put stuff in their docs, right? that they have to, I mean, they'll say it and they have to, right? And it's funny in the queues, right? Cause you can usually get some good and interesting tidbits in the queues that they'll just put something. It's like, why did you put that in your press release? Like, like, like I own an energy company and, and they had a press release. They have a, a, a partnership with, a, with a, Apache and Apache on their conference call, you know, Apache is a $2 billion company. Um, they highlighted, you know, these nine wells and, and Permian Basin and how much success and how much were, they were flowing, like information that's, you know, they, they made it important enough to highlight and they have a 52% working interest. The company I own has a 48% interest, interest and a press release, no mention of it. And then in the queue, it says, you know, we did these drills. They didn't give nearly as much detail and said, oh, that it'll be incredibly uh, incremental to our fourth quarter cash flow. It's like, how, you know, why don't you say that in press release, right? And, you know, it's, they have the reasons for that. I mean, they, I think they're buying, they're a buyback, they buy back stock and they do things. And, um, but it's like, you know, something like that, like why, why does nobody care about that? You know, it would be, whereas if Apache did something similar, a thing would shoot up. Right. Um, and there's a lot of these things, but you do have to be looking for them. Right. And then you have to, you know, have a network. Sometimes like I didn't find that someone else gave it to me, but you know, you have to have a network. So I think what, what I do, what you do with all these podcasts, I was building a network. Like everyone gets along with certain people over other people. Right. And, and, um, but having a network, that's where you, you know, you can't screen, you can't have every idea. You can't, there's too many out there. There's, I mean, how many of like 10,000 companies out there? I mean, there's, so I did the math on DFIN, you know, there's like 5,000 publicly traded companies, but that's non OTC. Right. And then you have the OTC land. It's just like a ton of companies. Right. And, I will look at any, I will look at anything. Um, I, I don't own many 
OTC companies anymore, but, you know, I don't know how much you've talked about this new rule, but it's, um, yeah, I don't love it, but you know, it's, I, I'll never say no to OTC company because there's, oh, they can always, there's always, some, there can always be something. Right. And, um, I don't know. That's what's fun about investing, man. You talk to people and, you know, it's, it is, it, that's where you find the ideas, right? Like you can't, you can't just own the same stock forever because ideas change, right? Yeah. They, they change. Like people talk about holding forever. You can't do that. It, that's the ideal thing. Right. But, you know, a lot of times companies change and investment change. So you, you always got to be doing the work and, and, and doing the work and looking can, sometimes leads you down a path, right? To find something totally new, right? You know, and when I did research on Acorn, you know, I, I, re I do regret, um, how should I phrase this? You know, I, I learned a lot about Generac, right? And, you know, in hindsight, I probably should have bought both. And, um, you know, we, I couldn't have predicted the, the flows that went into Generac, right? Like I knew at the time, this was four or five years ago, Generac was like 50 bucks. It was kind of that cyclical, it was a cyclical value stock. It would go to 20 times earnings, 10 times earnings, just like that, you know, depending on the time of the year, storms. That's how it was traded. That's how it traded. They made, they bought a couple software companies and started talking about green energy and, and solar and yada, yada, and combining it all with their battery. And then the stock just, and then you had, you know, more storms than we had COVID and the thing. It just went from 50 to $400 like that, right? On huge sales growth. And, in my research, I, I you know, I, I, I was very positive on the growth and um, backup power generation, but I was like, man, this, these guys are sharks. Like this company is like, like this company is going to be successful. Um, I just said it's too big, right? I, I, what do I know? You know, you know, if I would have put money on Generac, I, I would have done better. Absolutely, man. You've given so many good nuggets that and answered all my my what I usually ask everybody when we close it out, but you know, uh, because I mean, look, yeah, we, we do got to kind of wrap up because I feel like we could, this could literally go yes. on for another couple hours. So, um, I'm not even going to ask you about Twitter takes because this has been way too interesting. Just talking about investing. So the next time you're on, we'll, we'll yeah, and on the we'll Twitter be, takes, you know, we'll, we'll be just, on that on the Twitter be. takes. I did want to say, you know, I, I'll make some takes on food and things. I like to stick with food. Um, you know, look, it's real, it's, right? It's, you're not, it's you're real. not doing the, I do believe it's, all my food takes. And okay. I'll joke. That was the main thing I wanted to get yeah. today. I all do right. believe okay, all my good. food all takes, right. but I joke um, on Richest Niches Pod, my Twitter <laughs> handle. I do joke that um, I have various conviction on these takes, right? I mean, I, I, you know, you, you, you know, look, people will engage in different ways. I like food because you're just not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to hurt anyone with a food take, right? It's people know, and they're ridiculous. Like, it's not like I'm, I'm saying real, you know, you know, I always find it comical when people are like, Oh, they're finally a good food take. And I'm like, I'll joke like to myself, well, what, how about my other takes? But you know, it's comical. It's a way to engage. I do believe them all, you know, I, you know, I, but I, I actually do have a good food palate, right? I do believe I eat well, but I also eat, I also eat garbage. So uh. <laughs> well, I, I have to ask, I mean, you know, on this, on this front, so I guess we will go there for, for a little bit here is what's been, what was the most either controversial or one that got the most engagement and that you're like, wow. Okay. You no, know, there, there was a few, you know, the few have been, um, you know, look, you know, the problem with engagement is like, people don't understand. It's like, if you don't want me to make food takes, don't, don't engage. Right. But you know, it's like a, you know, you engage with them and you just want to be more outlandish. You know, that's the thing with big, when you have a lot of followers and I've noticed with big followers, like 
they just have to be more outlandish. It's the only way, right? So I've noticed the more outlandish I can be, the bigger takes of what everyone knows. That. So you know, a recent one was actually good was the, you know, the cup of noodles over, I'd said cup of noodles better than um, all Italian food, right? Italian pasta, you know, oh. usually trolling some people, right? That like are passionate about it. And the other one was, uh, I think the other one was, was tuna, the tuna fish one, where I said canned tuna was better than I forget what I said that really got enraged enraged people enraged people and enraged people because I, I I think I got a couple people that actually agreed and people couldn't handle that I think it's like there are people that really can't eat anything so like tuna canned tuna fish was something they would eat right yeah. and um um it might have been canned tuna I forget what it was but that one was that one was a big one and you know I do it I usually target somebody and, and we'll just make an outlandish food take right that, that's like how do you people like how do you come up with these ideas like well, well usually you know someone will say something that's very serious and I'll just I'll go the other way you know what I gotta say this one really hurt me and I, I think it inspired me this morning when you said uh sushi is overrated that one that one hurt as an LA local with like it's my wife and I's favorite like Oh, that one, that one hurt my gut. It, it hurt. It you hurt know, I'll, look, I'll be honest with you. Somebody, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'll be, you know, I just, you know, people aren't going to listen at this point, but it's, um, <laughs> um, they might, with, with that, they might, they've, honestly, they've been waiting, they've been waiting for me sushi. And I, and, and sometimes you get inspired, right? Oh, sushi. I forgot about it. So it's like sushi. People love sushi. It's like, let me just rip on it. You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and look, I, I even said when, when I say something is overrated, it clearly means that I like it. Right. I do like sushi. Um, and, uh, you know, but I live in a suburb, I, I tell you, I live in a suburb of Manhattan. So suburbs are just in, at least we're in Manhattan, it's not Manhattan. Right. So, you know, you get sushi places that are sold to like, you know, suburbia, right. And it's not going to be going to Manhattan, you know, and having, um, real sushi, but, um, that one was a good one too. Actually, people got fired up about that one. And I, that one, that one was funny. I had no thought. Like, they take no I will, thought. I will change your mind when you come to LA. Well, yeah, take I, yeah, I, I love LA. It's great. I'm sure I'm, it's good. And I'm sure it'll be great. Sure. But I would be like, you know what? This is probably way too expensive for what you're getting. Um, you know, I'd rather have a steak and some wine. Right? It's just only a pair I'll make of you a better steak. I'll make you a better steak at home than you could get at a steakhouse, okay? Yeah, no, look, I, I know those are so fun. I mean, I, I appreciate I, I, I like when people engage with them. They're they're funny. It's amazing can, how can you, sensitive people get. How do I get how do I get a salsa shout out on a food tank? What do, what do I have to do? You have to talk about food. I know. I've been I've been waiting. That's the problem. I know. I've been weighing it back and forth. Uh, I, I, the about thing is, I only do it when on people media. I know that they're passionate about something and I have to like them. Right. You know, I always say like, I only, you know, troll someone if I like them. Right. And, you <laughs> oh, know, you gotta know you can handle it. Right. I know I'm joking. Right. Damn. Like, I, I, I do believe my food takes. I just, I don't, I definitely believe some way more than others. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just hilarious. You, know, you gotta be more outlandish so uh, it's it's hard but it, it takes a lot of thoughts on will give me so like what's what's like a sensitive food take for you because now now i gotta get i gotta get percolating so i can uh... no it's the it's the things that people like um you know the when you like like really like pizza oh my gosh let's all oh, for, forget about the, the takes i mean the pizza and i'm amazed how sensitive people get about things like pizza like it's pizza like i like pizza you know i don't love pizza but it's pizza and first of all you can't say that it's just pizza like people go crazy and then pineapple pizza, like people really dislike pineapple pizza. Like, 
I will say this here again. I mean, I, mean, I like pineapple pizza. I don't love it. I just, I'll eat it. Right? If you give it to me, I'll eat it. But I don't. Well, find if it's it like spicy. if it's like a half pineapple with you know whatever yeah. and like half. I like the pineapple like, with I'll, spice. I'll try. You'll try it one one yeah, slice like to get a little variety. But like, I'm not gonna order a pineapple pizza. You go it. You go to it, and then and then I I oh then Domino's. I talk about. I say Domino's the best pizza in the world. People can't handle that. It's like, come on. How do you think I believe that? You know, but I, I do like Domino's. <laughs> See, this is why I love this is why I love that you put out the takes because, like, I've actually had conversations with other investors where, like, we both follow you and we're like, "What the hell is he fucking saying with it?" Pardon my French. You know, I'm sorry, everybody. No, what, I don't what know. What does what he say? I think I've said this before. I said, like, you know, I I have various conviction levels of my takes, <laughs> and the pizza one, you know. It, you should like you that. should give a rating of your conviction level then. Like yeah. you should do like you know, the take and be like, all right, this is like a three out of four or three know, out but of that's five. True, but then that they'll get the outrage. People get so, and then, then there's some people that are outrage. They'll fight back for fun, right? That they think it's so, <laughs> you know. And then the other people take it serious and they'll get the block, right, or the mute. Um, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's fun to talk about food because it's easy, right? And you no, know, it's not. You know, other people try to engage through. Um, more sensitive topics. I, I you know, I, I, you have to really, it's a fine line, right? You know, you don't want to, I think for me, and maybe this is naive of me, you know, food is not a sensitive topic, right? Like you eat, you eat to live and, and, and it's subjective. It's like, you know, people have it's their taste from childhood, right? I know some, some people that eat like children, right? Like they eat, they won't eat anything nice. I, I, there's people like that. And it's like, well, that's the way they are. Like well, you know, who cares? They don't care. They would, a food take wouldn't bother them because they'd be like, all right, whatever. Like, I don't care. It's food, right? I'll, I'll eat when I'm hungry, you know. But it's fun, and you know, it's been fun meeting people, and, and you know, it's um, it's good to share, right? And that's why, like I said, started a podcast. You know, it's it's good to meet other people and talk ideas and get to know another because that's what it's all about, right? That's where you can learn, and there's so much to learn. There's so much that's changing all the time. So I appreciate you having me on. No, absolutely, Richard. It's been an absolute pleasure. It, it was so good to have you on and really meet you. I, I have a feeling this is the first of many conversations we'll be having either on here or on, on the roundtable for sure. So with that, where can our audience go and follow you, find more information on the Sosaverse? <laughs> Well, just on my my uh, riches niches pod uh, Twitter handle is riches niches pod, and um, you know my you know you, you know you can just Google my name and you can find all my information in my business. Um, but you know for the most part, everyone knows where they can reach me, and it was nice to know you. And yes, I'm sure we'll talk more. Absolutely, thank you, Richard. Really appreciate thank you. it. Man. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.